in Isaiah, going chapter by chapter through the Bible. Isaiah chapter 13. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Isaiah 13. Isaiah chapter 13. So let's pray before we begin. Father, I just pray that you would reveal to us, Lord, your heart for us, your heart for the world, Lord, here in the book of Isaiah, Lord. Lord, we just come in here this evening because we don't want to stay the same. We want to change. We want to change by knowing more about your word, more about your heart, more about Jesus. Lord, your word says that Jesus is proclaimed Lord, in every page of the Bible, New Testament and Old, and we want to learn more about him this evening. I pray that you would do that, Lord, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So verse one, the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. And so... Last week, we were in Isaiah 11 and 12. Isaiah 11 is a chapter dedicated to, uh, to really, it's a, it's a prophecy tor- uh, regarding the coming Messiah. Jesus called the, uh, in chapter 11, called the rod that is going to sprout up or a branch that's going to sprout up from the stump or stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's father, King David's father. And in verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. And then chapter 12 was is a hymn of, uh, that sort of proceeds from the heart of someone who accepts the Messiah. In chapter 13, and it goes all the way to Isaiah 23, there's a proclamation of judgment against the nations, many of the nations surrounding Israel. Now, Isaiah has already, by this time, had a a proclamation of judgment against Israel itself. Uh, But uh, in, in chapter 13, it's... Uh, it's to go all the way through chapter 23. It's a pro- proclamation against uh, the nations. And, you know, in Second Peter, uh, rather in First Peter, I believe it's chapter 3, the Bible says judgment begins in the house of the Lord. A devotion, uh, I believe, went out this past week uh, to, uh, written by someone in our church about that verse in First Peter. And... Uh, it is true that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And Isaiah began uh, with a 
a, a proclamation of judgment against Israel, the house of the Lord. God always wants to clean his own house first uh, before uh, going out and, and, and declaring judgment against the nations. Well, it moves uh, uh, just like that in Isaiah. It starts with a proclamation of judgment against Israel and Judah, but then it moves against um, Babylon. And it says in verse 1, the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Remember, a lot of these visions uh, in uh, the uh, prophet Isaiah, they, they were visions, actually, things that he saw, visions. And that word burden, you know, we use that term with prayer, right? I have a burden to pray, and that often means, wow, so the Lord has put someone or something on your heart, and you just got to get it out. It's actually a very healthy thing. It's something that is from the Lord. Well, the same thing happens with prophetic utterances where the Lord will uh, put on a, uh, someone with a prophetic gift a word of judgment, a word of judgment, uh, and we'll see as we go through these, some of these burdens that God put on Isaiah. He, he didn't necessarily even like having. They were, they were almost terrifying and fearful for, for him to behold, but they became a burden in a way that, you know, the, a load, a heavy load on him such that he, he had to get them out. He had to declare them in order to be obedient uh, to the Lord. And sometimes some of you, this may happen to you, where the Lord will put a burden, even a prophetic burden on your own heart, that something that you just know that's going on in the life of a friend or a family member or something that's not okay, something that's a, uh, really in opposition to the word of God. And, and the Lord's not going to lift that burden until you speak it out. That's, that's, you know, we, we, we have the Holy Spirit in us and, 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 the, Lord, and the Holy Spirit is gracious enough uh, to, to give us a ministry sometimes where, where we have to just speak it out. Well, some, similar here, he, he's got this heavy load. He's been regarding Babylon or against Babylon was modern day, is what is modern day Iraq. It was a world power, but at this time, Time of Isaiah was a hundred years before it became really um, a, a real world power. I mean, it, it was starting to sort of rise in, in strength there, but it wasn't for about another 100, 150 years till it would become a dominating world power. And so it says here, lift up a banner on the high mountain, raise your voice to them, wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified ones. I have also called my mighty ones for my anger, those who rejoice in my exaltation. So what is, what is this talk? What on earth is he talking about here? He's talking about the people that he's going to raise up to judge Babylon. Different enemies, the, the Medes and the Persians, were going to be the, the, the tools of God's judgment against Babylon. It says in verse 4, the noise of a multitude in the mountains like that of many people. 
a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven. The Lord and his weapons of indignation. So the Lord sometimes uses people or armies of, uh, of countries as his own weapons. Isn't that amazing? I mean, obviously the Al-Qaeda and those kind of uh, Islamic terrorists, we don't really think of those uh, ourselves as the weapons of God. Certainly they think themselves as the weapons of God. But you know when they talk of themselves as the weapons of God, sometimes they really are, not in the way they think. But, but to inflict judgment and, and, you know, whether or not something like 9-11 was the judgment from God, I don't know for sure. God hasn't told me that. But we would be foolish to say that there's no way that could be true because the Bible tells us from cover to cover that that's what God does with people, with nations. That he uses one nation to be a weapon of judgment. And certainly, the United States deserves judgment. Whether or not 9-11 was judgment of God, I don't know. It certainly deserves it, uh, given the, the state of, of the, the country. Verse 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Now, really important that we understand, as I've been saying since we started in the book of Isaiah, as with many of the prophets, Isaiah has his prophecies deal with sort of the near term or the immediate term, but also the very distant future, the very distant future. It's the only way you'll be able to understand uh, the book of Isaiah if you understand that principle. So on the one hand, he is talking here when he refers to the day of the Lord in verse 6, as the day when God will judge Babylon. But in the prophets throughout the Bible, the day of the Lord also refers to the time when God will judge the world. Jesus speaks of, the, uh, of this very time in Matthew 24, of the time will, of the tribulation period that has yet to come. It will come in the end times. After the rapture of the church, there will be a tribulation um, where uh, the, the very things that is uh, described here will happen uh, on earth. Uh, it says, verse 9, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will not be darkened in its going forth. And the moon will not cause its light to shine. And so, uh, you know, you, you, you read this and it's actually a similar theme 
that actually Jesus himself refers to during the time of tribulation, Jesus says, Matthew 20 verse, uh, 24, verse 29, uh, he says this, he says, immediately after those days or the time of tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, we see the same thing uh, in the book of, of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in, in chapter 6, uh, John, the, uh, the apostle John, is given a vision of, of the end times. And he says in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. This is the seal of judgment. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And so there's just going to be sort of, in the time of tribulation, you know, throughout the Bible, in the book of Joel, also in Isaiah 34, you see the same thing. The, the, the earth itself will be under convulsions because of the judgment of the Lord. Uh, it is predicted uh, throughout uh, prophets. And so, you know, some people ask why uh, in Isaiah's time, which was 100, 150 years before the nation of Babylon really rose up to be a world power, they weren't even a threat to Israel at the time of Isaiah. Why is he even talking about them? Why would he even talk, be talking about them, uh, them at this point? Well, a couple things. One, for you and me, a couple thousand years later, we can see that these very things that happened to the nation of Babylon that Isaiah predicted happened. And so it's, wow, the Bible really is true. That's one thing. Number two, it would have been an encouragement to the Israelites themselves a hundred 50 years later, when they were being destroyed by Babylon, because Babylon w winds up completely wiping out Israel, it would have been a, a comfort to them after having been destroyed by Babylon, and then after seeing Babylon destroyed itself, just as their prophet had said, wow, the word of God really is true. But probably most importantly, the reason that Isaiah gets into this whole subject of Babylon is that Babylon, throughout the Bible, it, 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 it signifies throughout the Bible uh, really the world. It's the, sort of the, it represents the world. It's actually mentioned, the city of Babylon is mentioned 287 times in the Bible. Can you imagine that? Only one other city is mentioned more, and that's Jerusalem. Uh, it was, the, it's been called the, the, the seat or the origin of the expression of organized hostility towards God. In other words, it, was, it, it began there, organized hostility against God. Do you remember when that was? The Tower of Babel, right? It was in Babel in, in Genesis chapter 12, where man, not only did they, you know, Adam sort of 
individually rebelled against God, right? So did Eve. So did Cain. But in Genesis chapter 11 in Babel, which is Babylon, men began to actually organize together, group together, you know, have meetings and stuff like that to rebel against the Lord. That's like a whole different realm of sin, right? Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4 says this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Man, when someone says that, make, make a name for ourselves, you know judgment's coming. <laughs> you know, let me make a name for myself. Just run away from that guy or that woman, <laughs> you know, because judgment is coming. So why would Isaiah... 100, 150 years before Babylon's even a threat to Israel, be talking about Babylon, a lot more is going on here. A lot more is going on because God, through his prophets, was going to be, is telling you and me today, about 2,700 years after this was written, this is real, this whole world system of organized rebellion against God that is in the world is going to be destroyed and it's going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 17 and 18, there's reference to the commercial Babylon, the, the rise of really of capitalism and commerce, which just starts to dominate the world, a one-world financial system, all relates to Babylon, which is more than just a city somewhere that used to be somewhere in modern-day, uh, in, in what we know of as modern-day Iraq. It's, it's a whole system in the world. So it represents the sort of pagan world system in opposition to God. And so verse 9 says, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. For the stars of heaven and the constellations will not give their light. So Jesus refers to the same thing in, in Matthew 24 that will happen. It says in verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil. So this is clear reference that, again, the only way to understand the book of Isaiah, there's a near-term judgment of Babylon that existed at that time, which was going to happen about 150 years after this. But it, then it goes beyond that, where it's referring really to the, whole, the judgment of the whole world. That's what it's referring to in verse 11. I will punish the world. So you could just as well substitute the word world for Babylon, because that's how it's used in the Bible. This is why we go chapter by chapter at Calvary Chapel through the Bible so we can understand how to, the Bible as a whole. When you see the word Babylon in the Bible, most, many times it means much more than a local city. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Eek, I don't want that to be on my gravestone, the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than the fine gold. And we do, so that means that he, what he's saying, I will make a living person more rare than fine gold. And we, as you read in the book of Revelation, it's just amazing 
how the, 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 the death that happens, like a third of the whole world, that type of thing, wiped out at a single time. You know, today, you know, the, the, the tsunami that just happened, the earthquake, what, 20, 30,000 people died? And it was a terrible, terrible tragedy. In the book of Revelation, when the wrath of God is poured out, it's going to be not in terms of tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands. Haiti was 300,000. It's going to be in tens of millions, hundreds of millions. That's what the Bible says. It says, verse 12, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than a golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place. It is believed that this was referring to during the tribulation. Remember, the Bible says that the church it will be raptured out before the tribulation. Just as God saved Lot and his family from Sodom, it says in 1 Thessalonians, it says specifically that, that, that God has not appointed uh, you to wrath or his children to wrath. God doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't bring us into his kingdom and, and, and to the children of God and to his kingdom and gather them to himself only to pour out wrath on them. That's sort of the essence of the theology behind the rapture of the church is that God doesn't do that. So at this time, you don't have to be shaking in your boots that this is going to happen to you as long as you've accepted, confessed, declared with your mouth that Jesus is the master of your life and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You don't have to worry about any of this. Nevertheless, it is given to us, uh, uh, you know, uh, today in the year 2011 as, as, a, uh, as a prophecy of, of what is to come. Now, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but if you've seen the signs about May 21st, anyone see any of these signs about May 21st, judgment is coming? You know, I, I hope you're not in the slightest bit afraid. I myself am going to be at a wedding. I'm going to really enjoy the, the, the wedding ceremony that day. Um, hey, if I'm raptured up on that day, that's great. But Jesus said, don't be trying to pick what the time, uh, uh, the day is or the hour. In the book Acts chapter 1, it even says the season. In other words, don't, don't try to say, yes, this is the season. It's going to be the fall of 2000 or the spring, uh, late spring of 2011. Don't do that. Now, we are told in Matthew 24 that we will know generally the season, but not in, in the order of months that we can identify it. So, you know, don't worry about May 21. I've, you guys have heard before when I was saved in 1988, same year I was saved, a much bigger deal was made of September 8th, 1988. All over the place. That was the last, you know, the rapture was going to happen on that day. There was a book that was written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. So this is what I was greeted with when I first started walking with the Lord. Uh, so um, people were taking it real seriously. It's a tragedy, and it misrepresents the word of God. But it says in verse 13, I will shake the heavens, and the earth will move out of it, her place. It is believed that somehow that, I don't know, the Lord is going to 
changed the, the earth on its axis or something. And anyone who knows anything about science will tell you how catastrophic uh, that would be. That the earth, if it was in any position other than the one it, it is in right now, life wouldn't be able to exist. So just even altering it a little will cause cat- catastrophe. It says, it shall be as the hunted gazelle and as a sheep that no man takes up. So pe- people will be as the hunted gazelle. And, and, and you, know, you, you just get that picture of you know, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Anyone old enough to have seen that? Marlon Perkins? That is just amazing. Really, you guys? Have never seen Wild Kingdom. Wow! Oh my goodness. But anyway, you know the gazelle, the, you know the the cheetah or whatever, running after the gazelle. And he, here's the picture right here. It shall be, you know, people will just be the wicked will be fleeing as the hunted hunted gazelle. Every man will turn to his own people. That's what that's what the wicked do. They don't repent. They don't cry out to God. They actually to turn into themselves. And everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered. Their wives ravished. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I hate to go back to this subject, but chapter by chapter uh, here at Calvary Chapel, it's probably one of the chapters I would skip if it was up to me. <laughs> Not exactly uplifting, but yet when we read this, I think it's important that we develop a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, as we discussed last week when we were in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1, which says, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. When I say fear the Lord, I'm not talking about living out your Christian life uh, fearing the anger of the Lord, because for you, you know the, the 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 Christian life shouldn't be characterized by that, because the anger of the Lord for our sin was poured out on Jesus Christ. There's very little references of any, if any, in the New Testament about God being angry with a child of God. He's broken. He's grieved. The Bible says he's jealous. The the, the Spirit of God jealously yearns. For us, when we sin, we go into backsliding and rebellion. I'm not talking about the kind of fear that, for example, a child has of a a, a father with an anger problem. But the fear, a healthy fear of the Lord is, you know, God did create the heavens and the earth. And judgment is coming. And he has every right by the way, to chastise me when it, it, you know, if I decide to to say, you know, I want to take vacation from God for the next three months. A healthy fear of the Lord. This is, this is what it does for me when I read through this. You know, this is real. The wrath of God. God's holiness. Verse 17, behold, I will stir up the meads against them. So this is going back to a near-term judgment. So 
remember, it's one of the difficulties of reading through the prophets. They sort of switch back and forth to what happens sort of the, in the distant future, or there's a, uh, rather there's a double meaning, something that will happen in the distant, also a near-term judgment. It, it, the same exact prophecy will apply to both. But this particular one clearly applies to uh, the short term. I will stir up the Medes against them. So it was the Medes who, in Daniel chapter 5, I believe it was, came in and wiped out the Babylonian kingdom. Now, for this reason, critics of the Bible say, oh, obviously this was written after that happened because there's no way Isaiah could have known uh, that this uh, happened. Well, you know, that's the way critics read the Bible. Uh, they have a much more difficult time with Isaiah 53, which, no one are, which talks about the death and crucifixion of Jesus before it happened, and they know that wasn't written before Jesus' birth. They have a hard, harder time with Micah chapter 5, which talks about his birth in Bethlehem. And they're not arguing that was written um, uh, uh, after. They know it was before. But, you know, they see something like this, and they're like, oh, this had to have been written after. And that's just what they do. They write off the supernatural. They just write it right off. And uh, yet we know that uh, this, the, the, it's not a, it's not even an unusual thing at all for God to prophesy us about something before it happened. The Medo-Persian Empire wiped out the, the, uh, the Babylonian kingdom, Daniel chapter 5. And it was a, by the way, it was a sudden thing that took the whole nation by surprise. And that's uh, why it says at the end of verse 8, it says they will be amazed at one another. It, it, everyone will be sh- everyone was shocked because the Medes sort of came out of nowhere and wiped out and toppled the king there in Daniel ch- uh, chapter 5. And, and so Isaiah prophesies, every, this is going to come upon you suddenly, uh, come, uh, come upon Babylon suddenly, and they won't even know uh, what hit them. And then it says here, It says about Babylon, verse 19, in Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of Chaldeans, pride. Remember uh, some of the the structures in Babylon were seven or eight wonders. Is it the eight wonders of the ancient earth or the seventh wonder? You, You know. Any any fact questions? Just go to this guy, Don. He knows it all. The seven was it the Hanging Gardens of uh, of Babylon? And it just says here the beauty of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another word for Babylon's pride. Is will be destroyed as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse twenty. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. Now that's a a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you say? What if someone said New York's going to be wiped out and no one's going to be living, you know, live in it after it was wiped out? Wouldn't you say, well, this guy's been smoking something or something. Obviously, that's never going to happen. Well, in fact, it did happen to Babylon. Uh, It took a little time for it to happen, but... uh, the dates, I have the dates here somewhere here. I believe when the Medes originally uh, came in, there was sort of an, an, an initial 
defeat of the city, but it wasn't flattened or anything like that. The walls of the city were left standing until 518 BC, but then eventually it becomes totally, completely depopulated uh, by the time of the Muslim conquest in the uh, 7th century AD. I did hear that Saddam Hussein was thinking about trying to rebuild the city of Babylon. I don't think you can pinpoint. It's been so wiped out. and it, 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 It's been so long since anyone at all has lived in this city, which was one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world, that people don't know exactly. My understanding is they don't even know exactly where it is. So <laughs> Sodom would have to sort of guess, and Saddam would have had to sort of guess where it was. But this Bible prophecy was literally fulfilled. Verse 20, it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. I love the imagery in verse 21, but wild beasts of the desert will lie there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there. Wild goats will caper there. Hmm, caper. Going to have to look that one up. That word, I imagine it's like hanging out. Uh, that's like the modern English version, hang out. But, um, uh, you know, the picture of the, 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 there will be such devastation there that there will be houses and there will, you'll, you know, owls will sort of hang out. You know, you can go to Ireland. There's, there's so many, we're going to Ireland this summer. I hope we, we'll probably see a few of these castles. I, yeah, you can actually, there's so many castles, you can just, like, they're in people's backyards. And I remember when I was there hitchhiking around after college, I just, like, knocked on someone's door. Hey, man, can I uh, go look at your castle? Sure, go back there. I went into the castle, completely desolate. You know, I walked up this stairway, probably shouldn't have because the thing, this thing was crumbling. But, uh, and, and, and the, it was weird. It was just like this picture. The wind was howling through this thing, you know, maybe a bird flying around inside of it. And, and that, you know, we read this and the judgment of the Lord is, is real. This literally happened to this city. Hyenas, hyenas will howl in their citadels. So in, in the, the ruins, the citadel is a castle. There will be hyenas, jackals in their pleasant places. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. Wow. You know, it, it may not exactly be light reading, but it's heavy, and it gives us a fuller understanding of who the Lord is and how serious he is about holiness. This is his, the world is his backyard. You can imagine what the Lord sees every single day going on in his backyard. If what was going on in the world today was happening in your backyard, would you just do nothing indefinitely? (laughs) I don't think so. And so judgment is coming. Verse chapter 14, for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. And so, again, this is a prophecy. At the time, Isaiah would not have even known what he was talking about, what the relation Israel was to Babylon. Because this wasn't going to happen for 150 years. But Babylon was going to come in, wipe out Jerusalem, and take Israel into exile back to Babylon. Babylon. 
And so it says that, and so this must have been a great comfort to people who had been exiled that, look, the prophet Isaiah says, we are going back someday. We're going to go back. And it actually was fulfilled. Steffi and I were having a picnic in uh, on last Monday and in over in the Dover woods. And it's a great place to go to because you can really sort of be alone and you walk around for hours sometimes and not see a soul. But... Um, so we were up on this overlook, and this guy comes up, and he's uh, this guy. He's like 60 years old, and we're always, this has got to be uh, some divine appointment here. So um, when he asked me what I did, I said, I'm a pastor. And by the way, what do you think about Jesus? And he said um, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe in God. He, uh, uh, But he, he was Jewish, but he doesn't believe in God. He's Jewish. He said he's actually into Eastern religion, and then he told me what we believed in was a leap of faith, but then he went on to, to talk about his faith, which was that everything, among other things, everything we see is maybe complete perception. It's not even real. In other words, the mountains we were looking at weren't really there. It was all just sort of a figment of, of my, our imagination, and I said, wait, you said that what I believed in was a leap of faith? Really? Uh, you know, but... One of the things I asked him is, do you consider it a little odd that after Israel ceased to exist as a nation, that 2,000 years later, actually technically it was much longer, uh, because it, although it was briefly a nation about 100 years before Jesus was born, 100, 150, really it was not a nation since the time the Babylonians came in an independent nation. Do you think it's strange that 2,000 years later the Israelites just came and when every other civilization and ethnic group within two generations uh, 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 of uh, being exiled in the manner that they were were assimilated into their population? Doesn't that seem odd to you? He switched the subject. He didn't answer it. It has to be the Lord that that happened. But it was prophecies like this that, that, that Israel has, has known, that they're God's people and that they would congregate. Verse 2, the, it says, oh, actually, in the middle of verse 1, it says, the strangers will be joined with them. Anyone have an NIV out there? What does that say? The aliens? Okay. How about any really spiritual people have a King James Version? Always look at Mike back there. No? So the strangers, what's that referring to? It's the Gentiles. You know, by the time Jesus comes around, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They had no business hating them because throughout the Bible, including right here in the book of Isaiah, it says that it talked about that an ingathering, would God, God would join with the Jewish people, Gentiles. This is one of them. The strangers, the aliens, will be joined with them. You know, remember when Peter was told uh, to go and eat in the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Peter says, I can't, you know, he's like, I can't do that. I can't go into the house of a Gentile and eat with them. 
Well, but it's not like the Bible didn't predict that would very thing would be happening, joining with the Gentiles, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. That's an awesome prophecy, actually. It really, really is. Verse 2, then people will take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the lands of the uh, land of the Lord, they will take them captive whose captives they were and rule over their oppressors. Now, it, it, verse 2 appears to be talking about the Babylonians who will eventually become uh, the, you know, the oppressors will, will eventually become subject to Israel. Also may be, a, you know, where in the messianic reign, the seat of power will be Jerusalem. Not sure uh, what the reference to is there. But in verse 3 through verse uh, 15, we're coming up to some verses that may be more familiar to you, actually reference to Satan and his fall from heaven. Now, Satan in the Bible, again, Babylon has a larger meaning than just the local city. It's, it's sort of the whole world system opposed to God. And the king of Babylon has a greater reference than to a human being in the Bible. It's also a reference to Satan. And we'll see that here. It shall come to pass, verse 3, the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. So what we're about to read here relates not only in the near term to the literal king of Babylon, but also to Satan himself and some of the things we read about what's going to happen to Satan in the book of Revelation. How the oppressor, verse 4 says that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the setter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. Now that's only going to happen when Jesus returns And Satan is prevented from having free reign with people. So the near-term judgment here is the king of Babylon will be uh, defeated. But in the more long-term, Isaiah is looking at verse 6, it says he's going to be persecuted. No one's going to hinder him. That's referring to when Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of, uh, of fire one day. And the whole world will be at rest. They, they break forth into singing. Verse 8, indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief uh, ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations, they all speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? So when the king of Babylon, in the near judgment, when the king of Babylon is defeated, 
he will bec- he'll become as a mere man in a jail somewhere, persecuted in a jail, and other people in the jail will be looking at him saying, whoa, you were the guy? You were the guy who ruled the nations, who persecuted the nations? You know, you're just sitting next to me? Like, well, yes, I'm the guy. But it's also a reference to someday, literally, hell is going to receive Satan. The Bible says that hell was created not for men, but Satan and his angels. But when he gets to Satan, people uh, who exist there, spirits that exist there, are going to say, whoa, you're the guy who tormented the world, who ruled king, who influenced and ruled and swayed men one way or another? It's speaking um, of that. Verse 11, your pomp is brought down to shoal. So pomp is mean your grandeur. And the sound of your stringed instruments. Now someone asked me recently uh, and about the whole subject of, you know, why is it that Satan appears to have free reign in, sec- in many sort of areas of, of secular music? I, I personally... Uh, am utterly convinced, uh, particularly growing up in the 70s, that a lot of the music that I just uh, poured into to my soul was just pure poison that had a demonic influence to it. And, and, uh, and it is believed that Satan himself uh, had a role in the worship uh, in heaven. And this is one of the references to it. It says, your pomp is brought down and the sound of your stringed instruments. In the, in the book of Ezekiel, there is uh, even a more uh, pointed reference there. It's somewhere here in my notes. Ezekiel 28, thir- uh, 13 says of Satan before his fall, he was, it says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. That's what it says in Ezekiel 28:13. And so some people think that Satan had some kind of Satan is a fallen angel. His name his name which we'll see in verse 12 uh, one of his titles is Lucifer. That Lucifer was an angel before he fell. Jesus said that he says in the book of I think it's Matthew that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He had a role. He was an angel in heaven, and and some believe he had a role with praise, praise and worship in heaven, that uh, Satan, that Lucifer rather, had that role in heaven. And many believe that that's why he gets so wrapped, uh, that so many, uh, so much of the music that we have seems to have a demonic influence um, in it. Some of it is just outright worship of, uh, uh, of, of Satan. And so uh, here you have reference to that. Then it says in verse 12, Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So he's referred to here, Satan, as the son of the morning. And that he fell from heaven. So he's a created being. And now some people make an enormous mistake by thinking of Satan like as the opposite of God. 
I mean, the Satan is not the opposite of God. <laughs> God is God. You can't have an opposite of God. Satan's a created being. He's an enemy of God, to be sure, but he's not the opposite of God. It's like the yin-yang type of thing. The Bible doesn't ha- have anything about yin-yang. It's, 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 it's God and, and everything else, basically. There's not an opposite of God. He's called here the son of the morning. He was created like everything, everything else that God created as a beautiful creature, a beautiful creature. You know, we think of Satan, you see horror flicks or whatever, and I hope you're not watching horror flicks, but, but you know, there was a time in high school, like every weekend we had to go to a horror flick. And, you know, these satanic images, these gory things, you know, Satan appears as an angel of light, as something beautiful to tempt people and draw them in. He was created, the son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And oh, does Satan do that? Of course, the king of Babylon did as well. But as we'll see, some of this, some of what we'll see here really can't, really didn't apply to a human king. This seems to be a clear reference to Satan. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So what was the sin or the rebellion of Satan? It was just pride. Filthy, dirty pride. When we have pride in our heart, we should take it really seriously. You know, I don't know, I don't know about you all, but it's a daily battle for me. I heard just this week a pastor talking about his battle with pride. He's like, it, it's, it's, so, it's so difficult. He goes, I'll have one counseling session that goes well, and I think I deserve a letter badge on my jacket. <laughs> and uh, I know what he's talking about. I know exactly what he's talking about. The Lord uses you, and you want to start, you know, playing trumpets in your own heart to your own glory. It's from, you know, it's from the fall of man where Satan tempts us to be like God, to try to rob glory from God. So he said in his heart, Lucifer said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So really his... Really, the, 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 the sin of Satan, of Lucifer, was trying to exalt himself about, above everyone else, all, other God, all, other, uh, all of other God's creatures. Not exalt himself above God as much as above all other God's creatures. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will be like the Most High. So that's exactly the sin, temptation that Eve fell into in Genesis chapter 3. So no wonder that Satan is the serpent tempting Eve with the same thing. Verse 15 says, Yet, sorry Lucifer, you shall be brought down to Shoal, 
for hell to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? And so near judgment, the king of Babylon who lived whatever, 2,500 years ago. Ultimate judgment, uh, ultimate description, though, it's, it's about the king of Babylon, meaning the king of the whole world system. And by the way, you guys form your own conclusions. You don't have to believe anything I say here. You go to the Bible, you read this, and, and, and if you disagree, that, you know, that, that's not a problem. You know, my main role up here is to teach the word of God, but also encourage you to get into it yourself. Don't just accept things because I say them. Read it for yourself. Verse 18, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword who go down to the stones of the pit under courses trodden underfoot. And so, verse 18, this all may be referring to a millennial reign type of thing. Now, there will be one king, the King Jesus then, but there will be rulers on the earth. This could be just referring to them. that It will be a very different time where it won't be just... In the world today, just constant mayhem and conflict and problems... But the time that Satan is bound, which he will be uh, during the millennial reign when Jesus is reigning, that's not going to be the case. People will be able, even rulers, uh, will be able to sleep in glory. I mean, I was just thinking the other day about the president, President Obama. You should pray for him. Can you imagine trying to sleep if you're President Obama? I mean, how do those guys sleep? Uh, you know, I hope he, I, I hope he knows of the Lord, because I, you know, the Bible says that that's the only way, really, you can get good rest. <laughs> uh, if if uh, is if you if you know the Lord, it says. Uh, And verse 21, prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Verse 22, for I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off Babylon. The name and remnant and offspring and posterity, says the Lord, I will make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy waters, I will sweep it un- with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. In verse, uh, verses 24 through 27, he switches to Assyria. Now, Assyria was an enormous threat during the time of Isaiah. And he prophesies that in verse 25, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. And that's what happened, right? They came into Judah, surrounded Jerusalem, and what was it, 148,000 Assyrians died in a single night when the angel of the Lord came and uh, defeated them uh, there, and we'll read more about that. And, And then verses 28 through 32, 
is referring to the land of the Philistines, also pronounces, declares judgment against them. You know, some people uh, believe that the prophecies against Philistines can uh, refer directly to the remnant of the Philistines, which is the area of Palestine. The area of Palestine was... um, is rather where Phil- the, the Philistia, Philistia uh, was. We don't know that for sure, um, but um, here there's a, a judgment pronounced against uh, the lands of the Philistines. And but then it concludes in verse 32. What will they answer the messengers of the nation? In other words, so what are we supposed to make about this? What's our conclusion about all this? It says that the Lord has founded Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And so, you know, one thing that we can take heart at as, as you know, in, in times of judgment that God has founded Zion. He's, Jesus, uh, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. We are in a kingdom. We're ruled by Jesus, the kingdom of God, and he's founded it. It's established. It's sure one day it will be literally a literal and physical. So verse 32 says, what will they answer, the messengers of the nation? So what are we supposed to, to make of, of, of all of this? As children of God, we can just take confidence that the Lord has a plan, and it's to establish his kingdom. He's already established the kingdom of Christ in a, in a real way, in a spiritual way. We're we're the body of Christ. We are already in the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is now among you. But in addition to that, there will be a physical reign. And so we will take up uh, chapter 15 next week. By the way, if any of you have any questions about this, these, some of these prophetic books are difficult to understand. Feel free. Uh, to ask me questions about it, but we just we don't want to avoid things uh, in the Bible just because they're difficult. God has put them in here. The Holy Spirit's put them in here for a reason. That's for our edification uh, and and to to build us up ultimately. We always end our Sunday evening service by just getting two or three people around you to to pray for a ministry that we support tonight. We are going to pray for a woman's concern, this crisis pregnancy center that we support, that the Lord would assist um, the center to bring adoption into the hearts of the expectant mothers. You know, it's a tough thing with a woman with an unwanted pregnancy to say, well, instead of aborting this child, I'll take it to term and then give it up for adoption. It's really a supernatural occurrence when that happens in in the heart of a woman. But that's what the center does, and it, it is successful by the grace of God. Please also pray that the, for the staff and volunteers, their physical, emotional, spiritual, and material needs, tremendous spiritual warfare involved in this, in, in this ministry. And then also pray for the baby bottle campaign. We'll be picking these back up uh, on 
on Father's Day, it's not only our churches, it's all the churches who 